Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine Podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. So I want to welcome everyone to the MindVine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Bovey. I'm normally joined with Daryl Mathers, my co-host, but uh, I've got two great guests here today, so I don't really, I don't need them today. <laughs> I can fly without them. But we're here at Lake Ridge uh, Health Oshawa Hospital, uh, where there's going to be the screening of, a, of the film Inspire that Chris Cull, uh, was the part of and part of the team and about your story, and we're really uh, pleased to be here with, with you. I, Thank you for having me. Now, it's easier to kind of, you know, for me, it's easier to probably say the things that you don't do because you're, you're a public speaker, you're an opioid survivor, you're a filmmaker, public speaker, you wear many hats, so uh, it's actually a pleasure to be here. And we're also joined with Paul McGarry, Director of Mental Health and Addictions for Lake Ridge Health, who is also Thanks. the uh, co-chair for the, uh, the Strategy Advisory Committee for the Opioid Strategy. And so... Two great people, and the reason we had you, because we know we have a lot of following, people like you, so we're going to jump up the podcast views, I think, just having both of you here with us today. <laughs> so I wanted to start, um, obviously, we're going to talk about the opioid crisis, and, and, and most people have some context, and healthcare, we really know a lot about the numbers. I think in 2016, we were like almost 3,000 deaths related to, to opioids, um, but what I want to do is to give context, and I've, I've heard some of your stories. I wonder if you could share your story, Chris, a little bit, because I think that's important for people to, to understand that context as we talk about a strategy or where we need to go, is to understand how it affects the lives of people that we care about and people in our community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my journey began, actually, in, I want to say my teenage years, because it's, uh, my father, he was a paramedic with Durham Region uh, for 27 years. Uh, he's my hero. Uh, he... He uh, was diagnosed with Huntington's disease and onset kicked in in my late teens. Uh, as that progressed, uh, he lost his job, lost his jo- a license, um, and he just kind of, he gave up on himself and he started drinking very heavily uh, to the point where that's all he lived to do. And uh, when I was about 20 years old, he started to try to take his own life on a fairly consistent basis. So the, just the being wound up so tight to coming home, not knowing if that's going to be the day every single day. And then uh, one day he uh, came home from school and he, uh, sorry, no, I was at a, I was on my way out the door for a brunch uh, with my ex-girlfriend's family and he told, he hadn't left the house in weeks and I I was like, okay, so uh, he wanted to go out and I'm like, yeah, go for it, do your thing. But he didn't come home that night and the next day I went up and I went to school but he still wasn't home by the time I got home. And... I freaked out, and I, so I started retracing his steps, and uh, I ended up finding him uh, deceased in uh, the Howard Johnson and Bowman you know, on the side of the 401 on Liberty Street there, and that broke me. Um, I, it broke me as a human being. I, I went into, I just couldn't stop crying. I was so upset, and uh, it was just him and I living together for all those years, and when he was gone, and it's just like, now what? Uh, so it was very hard, and I, I just wasn't able to manage that that loss in any kind of a productive uh, way where I started using Percocet to kind of get my, get, get through the day uh, mm-hmm. without crying in front of everybody at the most arbitrary of times. And 
once, uh, like I, so as I started taking them, I ended up taking them every day, and then you build a tolerance, so you take more, and then you have the dependency, and then, so I ended up escalating into using 580 milligram Oxycontins a day for a course of two years, where I just essentially laid in a vegetative state on my couch. Mm-hmm. And then one day, uh, well, when I lost my father's house to that, I spent six figures of easily on pills. I uh, lost the girlfriend three and a half years back then, um, who I loved dearly at the time. And I, I just lost everything that meant anything to me. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, to, I realized I needed to make a change. I tried going cold turkey twice, wasn't able to do it. And then I decided to go on methadone uh, at first step uh, right. in Oshawa here. And uh, through that process, um, I stabilized my uh, drug use, but I, I my, or sorry, my, my opioid use uh, or my dependence, or you know what I mean, the, the, yep. the withdrawal symptoms, sorry. And then, um, kind of used in and out different drugs in the first two years, but it wasn't until I got my new doctor that I, I got serious about it, where she gave me a lot of uh, great advice to uh, become uh, reflective on my own actions. And she, um, yeah, she helped me uh, clean up. And the latter half, those latter two years, though, I went two years without hydro in my house and uh, up to four days without eating, stealing my food. And then um, eventually turned it around, to make a long story short. And uh, yeah, uh, in 2014, I rode a bike across Canada to producing and directing a documentary about the opioid crisis. Um, and yeah, I could go on for days. But no, I <laughs> so, I mean, how easy or how hard was it when you were starting on the Percocets and the Oxy? Like, to get that, to access that? What was your avenue for getting those drugs? It was easy. Yeah. Um, everybody knows somebody who has a prescription for right. for opioids, uh, whether it be tramadol, Percocet, uh, you know, Oxy, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. There was always somebody that had something. And I, I it, it, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. Right. And if addiction has taught me anything, that is very true. <laughs> right. And, and what was the turning point for you? Was it just sort of... Did you hit sort of just a rock bottom moment or was there somebody that inspired you to say, I can't live like this anymore? Uh, it was, I was working my job as a cashier in Walmart in Bowmanville at the time. And it's a very weird, it has nothing to do with drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a guy came through with his groceries and I am uh, sitting there doing my job and punching in the numbers and his three apples. And I put them on the scale and uh, punched the numbers through and it was the wrong price. So I pulled out the flyer and said it was the right price. And he went back to the produce department, got one of those hard plastic signs you slip the numbers into and frisbeed into my nose, cut my nose open. I quit my job that day and I'm, I just went home and I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of working a job that I hate and going I'm tired of being assaulted or harassed. You know, I, right. I was just tired of surviving and I knew I was better than that. And I knew my dad would be disappointed in what I'd become. Uh, but in that said, thinking of him, it turned a lot around. So, right. and Paul, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the so the Central East Local Health Integration Network, this opioid strategy that you helped and worked with great people to create. But having people like, you know, Chris bring their voice, how important is it for us in, in the health field to really understand and bring that co-design element to policy and the things that we do? Well, it was, uh, it, was, it was absolutely critical, and I was lucky enough to meet Chris just before we were starting the work of, the, of developing the strategy, so the timing was perfect. And, you know, I really can't imagine developing something that is for people without having people actively involved in developing that. And when we think about people who have real lived experience, you know, Chris came in and really brought everything that we could have 
ever asked for in someone who had you know, been an active user, uh, been through different aspects of treatment, and then had gone through some very creative ways in terms of also um, uh, going through the recovery process, right. and then going on to, uh, to help a lot of other people through that story as well. So uh, nowadays, I think we would be very short-sighted not to actively include people who use services or people who may need services when we're designing services for the future. Right. So it's a, it's a crucial aspect nowadays. Now, and as someone that, that you've worked in the field for a long time and have seen so much, was there anything that Chris brought that you're like surprised you or, you know, as someone that you've seen a lot, was there anything that he brought that, boy, I didn't really think about it that way? I think that, well, I think there, when you watch the, uh, uh, well, not too many people have ridden a bike across Canada <laughs> twice. He's taking um, you next time. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can sit on the back maybe. Um, but so I think when you look at the at the trajectory of recovery and how some people, because every story is a different story. Mm-hmm. It's always very individualized how people can choose to change and how they will um, will evolve into being maybe the person they used to be or the person they wanted to be, you know, and kind of a drug-free lifestyle. And I think the way that Chris had responded to where he had come from was very unique. Right. You know, and then to take that personal story and turn it into something which is not only um, inspirational, mm-hmm. uh, but also educational and motivational for others, I think takes that just to a whole new level. So I think that's that for me was was very unique. Hmm. What about for you? I mean, obviously you're doing a lot of work in advocacy and speaking. Um, what does that mean to you? Is it, is it sort of cathartic being able to tell your story or is it just seeing other people come up and say, thank you for sharing your story. I can relate to what you went through. Yeah, I mean, it's been very, uh, I've through my film actually, even filming all the stories, because there's dozens of interviews that I did that didn't go into the film. I learned a lot about myself about that. And especially uh, there's a woman named Sharon who I interviewed in Calgary and then having from the family's perspective on her outlook on her son who had passed away six months prior to my interviewing her. And it was just, I learned a lot, but the more I learn at going to uh, speaking or going to various conferences or, or participating in various strategies, the more I learn, the more I can bring forward to my work going moving forward. Correct, yeah. So it's it's been a very I've been blessed to, for lack of a better wording, to uh, to have experienced and seen all the various uh, all the variables in the equation that is the opioid crisis, and also be blessed to have a chance to uh, voice my opinion on how things are going done moving forward. And when we talk about, I mean, stigma and mental health, I think there's even a, a different level of stigma when it comes to addictions. But I know. Probably when you're going through this, a lot of the voices you were hearing were probably blaming or why are you, are you but now that you've told your story, are you seeing these unknown voices come thanking you? Like, you know, you didn't have those same supports when you were in sort of the throes of your addiction that you, are you seeing people come forward now in a different light with different messages? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I've definitely had messages from across the country at various times, which has been unbelievably flattering. Right. Um but yeah, and, uh, I mean, I just wanted to show people that like, no matter how deep of dark of a hole that you might be in, that, mm. like, you can come back from it and mold your life into whatever you want it to be. And, right. uh, um, it's very hard to see that kind of light, but I mean, it's just, it, it's there. Mm. And the further you start to seek it out and the more you come with an attitude that, of looking for the good in every single problem that right. approaches you in life, that will do 
we'll move mountains for you. Great. And Paul, I just want to talk, I mean, the, the, the strategy, the uh, great, great work behind that. Can you talk a little bit about the four pillars behind that strategy that are key to, to coming up with a, a solution here? From early on, we realized that following uh, the four pillar model was going to be important. It was a, it's a model that's been used in public health when it comes to drug strategies. And um, with public health being strong players in our action group, we, uh, we recognized that that was a key framework that would also help us to align with some other frameworks that have been developed. So we thought the language and the, the, the structure of itself worked well. Um, and certainly in the, in the addictions business, when you look at the pillars of harm reduction and prevention, treatment, and also enforcement, you know, you can really include just about everything in the way of strategic priorities within one of those four areas. Mm -hmm. um, and in particular, when we look at some of the key aspects of trying to prevent, like really a lot of the strategies about preventing overdoses and preventing deaths. Mm -hmm. It is about a whole bunch of other things as well, but that is uh, a key aspect of the work that we need to do because in essence, the, 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 the big, ass, the big um, challenge that we have is that we have a drug supply that's totally contaminated. And so not only do we have people who are using opioids at excessive amounts and overdosing because of that, but we have people who are using any level of opioid, but it's contaminated and it's a, it's a total crapshoot in the sense of what's actually in a person's street drug supply. Right. So you're trying to put in place a lot of new safety measures that can help people avoid overdose and ultimately uh, uh, death as well. Right. Now I know, I mean, this is something not just in Canada, you see it in the States and, and everywhere. Have people reached out now that you've sort of completed the strategy, asking, you know, in, inquiring about the strategy and some of the work that you did? Are you hearing from places across Canada to learn more about the work that was done here? The, the work that we did in developing the strategy, um, we, spent, uh, we spent some time in, uh, in BC, but we spent a lot of time talking to others. Right. Now, of course, the strategy was just made public last week. I know. <laughs> uh, so we haven't heard too much, and, and until then it was, um, it was being developed through a work group for the LIN. Right. And so uh, along the way, um, beyond the work group, not too much was shown. It was th was thrown out publicly. Yeah. Um, but we've now actually just started to hear some early inquiries, and so we're excited. We really think it's one of the best that's around, in part because of people like Chris who helped to strengthen along the way to make sure it was inclusive and comprehensive. It certainly is evidence based, um, and so now we're going to go back and and recommunicate with some of our colleagues that helped us to develop the strategy to be able to share our findings and the directions that we'll be taking. So we're excited to go back and, and talk with others and, and you know, to reciprocate as well to give back to them mm -hmm. because they were uh, open to sharing with us in our journey of creating this one. That's great. And so we're here tonight, you're doing the screening of Inspire, but what's next for you, Chris? Like what's, uh, I'm sure you're uh, in demand for a lot of things. What's coming up for you? Uh, doing a speech at uh, Durham Collar UOIT here in town uh, next week. Um, one of 30 Canadians being highlighted by the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction for their 30-year anniversary video series, which is exciting. It's weird to follow, have a camera in my day-to-day -day boring, <laughs> monotonous <laughs> life, but it's, uh, no, I'm flattered. Um, that, uh, flying out to Kelowna to speak at the Western Canada Addiction Forum next month. I'm um, actually starting to, uh, I'm, I'm working with a person in recovery as well now, and I'm uh, actually starting to work on developing a TV show um, to potentially do a third bike ride across Canada where 
where this, my film was about me going out and doing all this crazy stuff. Oh, yeah, well, I didn't mention that. So I, I went out <laughs> in my film, and I, I did all this crazy stuff that I wanted to do that I couldn't do, that I couldn't travel. So I hit a bucket of golf balls off the mountains of B.C., jumped out of an airplane <laughs> over Montreal, et cetera. Yeah. But I want to take other people out and hear, uh, hear other stories and, uh, like, um, and take them out, kind of like a Make-A-Wish Foundation, for lack of a better wording, but, it's, but to, geared towards mental health and addiction. What was the scariest thing that you did? Ooh, um, I got my bike up to 82 kilometers an hour going down the back end of uh, Rogers Pass out in BC, and then a transport truck came by and within inches came by me blasting at 100, and then I caught in his slipstream, and I started speed wobbling, and I'm like, okay, uh, that's the the record. (laughs) I'll leave it there. Uh, That, uh, my first skydives in the film, too. I have uh, 27 solo jumps now, so, which has become quite the hobby now, um, yeah, I don't know. Sky's the limit. I'm afraid, <laughs> at my age, I'm afraid to cross the street. I don't know. But, but I want to thank you both. I mean, you're truly an inspiration. Thank you so much. Uh, to so many people and, you know, uh, to the strategy that I think is going to have such a great impact. And thanks, Paul, for all the work that you put into that. Um, I think, you know, this is such a huge issue and giving it the attention, but also real framework for us to make a change. Like you said, when you were doing your bike ride across Canada, the problem was getting worse, it wasn't getting better, but I think some of these actions, we're gonna see a real uh, a change, a positive change. And I hope so, and I'd also like to thank Paul for all his hard work, he gets after it. It's, it's impressive how much he pulled together with the strategy and to see him operating, it's been a pretty inspiring itself, so. Thanks again. Thanks so much for joining Thank you. Thank you.